We've seen companies right now where statistics are showing that if you're not visible in the office, your chances of a promotion goes significantly down. I think as we redesign our workplaces to comply with the new way that we're going to work, that will be at the forefront as well. Now, because we've been separated, there's been a very hard demising line because of the pandemic. The office is the office and the home is the home. Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. I'm your host, Tom Hunt, and today we're illuminating the future of the workplace. And to do this, we're joined by Morten Jorgensen, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Friday PM. We're joined by Stephen Lyon, who is the Regional Director at M. Moser Associates, and Victor Meningo, who is the Vice President of Global Market Development Asia Pacific at the International Well Building Institute. And in this episode, we're going to be diving into how the pandemic has fundamentally changed the way companies approach their work environments, how much work from home penetration we can expect, and the impact of technology on the future of the workplace. So let's jump into this discussion now. And the first voice you'll hear will be that of Victor. My name is Victor Meningo. I am the Vice President of, of Global Market Development for a company called the International Well Building Institute, or IWBI for short. A little bit about background of myself. I'm a trained architect. I've practiced architecture for about 16 years, both in the United States and Asia. That's actually what brought me out to Asia in 2007, and I've stayed out here. As I mentioned earlier, I am now with the Well Building Institute, and what we do is we focus on healthy places, spaces, and people as they relate to the built environment. Yeah, so my name is Morten Jorgensen. I'm based out of Denmark for many years, the happiest place on earth. I'm the CEO of Friday PM as Victor as well. I've had an international career based out of, of Asia and now based out of Europe. Friday PM as a company, we work with analytics in terms of optimizing the way that spaces are used and also how spaces interact with people. My name is Stephen Lyon. I'm based in Singapore. I, like uh, Victor, I'm a registered architect from the UK, where I practiced for approximately 25 years before coming out to Asia in 2008. I've been working across the whole region on only offices and workplaces. And Moza is an organization focusing on designing for people. And uh, as you can imagine, during the pandemic, the need for thought leadership, articles, podcasts like this has been immense. Uh, so we've done a massive amount of research and we're now starting to implement some of those projects that we've been discussing over the last 18 months. Interesting times. Definitely. On that note, the first opening question here is, obviously the big elephant in the room in the world workplace has been this pandemic. How has this like fundamentally changed the way that businesses are approaching their workplaces? And I'd like to go to Morton first. Yeah, so you can say that the world has been a, a changing topic over the last years. I think one of the most fundamental changes there has been is that we, in general, what we see with customers we are engaging with, we have, of course, been very reliant on space in general, on the office of meeting, on collaborating in the space. 
But there's, I think there's two fundamental factors that has changed. I think one thing is, of course, we've been much more aware of work is not just work. Work is tasks that we do where space interact with that. And the way that we operate in Friday PM, of course, our company as a general analyzes the office space and we look into the space to see how that is utilized. But we also look at the people aspect and the task aspect. And I think what we have become much more aware of as we all sit at home or wherever we have been sitting, how important space actually is for the different work modes that we are in, that we have, you can say, correlating work stones that really help us to thrive in those tasks. I think that's one of the big elements. I think the other thing is also, I think the whole piece on human insight, I think we've learned ourselves better. We've seen aspects of our own work life, our own work culture in a very different way than we have done in the past. There's um, a guy I tend to follow, Alan Watt, Dr. Alan Watkins, that says, you can say, understanding emotion is a big piece and emotions are actually from the word energy in motion. And all of us have been sitting at home really experiencing energy in motion as we try to do our work on Zoom calls and, and everything else. So I think there's been a kind of a epiphany for all that the human aspect, the task aspects have become even more important in the life of work. I mean, kicking off with some etymology wisdom there, I was never actually aware that the word emotion comes from energy uh, in motion, Morton, and that's such a great way of sharing the challenges that I guess employees may have been facing um, whilst being restricted to their workplace. Victor or Stephen, do you have any other kind of insightful thoughts on how the, the pandemic has changed the way uh, businesses specifically have approached the workplace? I can probably pick up briefly on that, uh, Tom. Look, I think the first thing is that uh, one size does not fit all. So, you know, we, we're talking generally across workplaces, but they vary from country to country, from sector to sector. And everybody's responded in different ways. I think the one piece that probably isn't going to change or appears to be quite consistent is that working from home or working remotely, whether that's at home, is probably here to stay. Technology has allowed us to do that. And that's obviously playing into the hands of employers who are now looking at their strategies to create blended or hybrid workplaces where employees have either the choice or they're dictated to on, on where they work and at how, how many days a week. I'm seeing quite you know, large diversity there. I'm seeing some organizations that get through their HR departments getting individuals to sign contracts for, for three days a week with uh, choice. I'm, getting, I'm seeing other people where you know, they're expected to come back four days a week or maybe even five days a week. So it's a uh, but there's a lot of different responses, and I think that that's it's still got to play out. I think until some of the built form and the, the use is tested, some of the theory probably may well prove to be quite tricky and may not work just as, as we all imagined. I mean, me personally, during the pandemic, uh, we were given notice to quit our own office. And, uh, and my first reaction was, oh, great, we can save space. And I started looking for a new office and I actually realized that I needed exactly, if not more space than I had before. 
because I needed a bigger collaboration spaces. I wanted to provide more breakout rooms for private calls like this one. And so, so the actual footprint completely changed. So, you know, I had to respond to those challenges. And, and I'm not saying we've actually got our new space right. We will definitely do some day two stuff as, uh, as we test it. But we kind of operate as a living lab. So if something doesn't work, we'll change it and we'll try something else. And I think there'll be many employers out there do the same thing. I agree both with uh, Morton and, and Stephen on this. I think, you know, the, the last 24 months have changed everything, you know, from businesses, for leaders, for employers. It's really interesting. You know, most organizations look at the future of work. If they're going to look at the future of work, they look at more of location rather than, you know, they, they look at where we're going to be rather than how we actually do our work to Morton's point earlier and what Stephen was saying about the tasks. I think when we're talking about the future of work, I think there's really three words that kind of define what we need to look at. And I think one of them is flexibility. I, the other one would be technology. And the third, which what we focus on is really well-being. And I think all of those were really brought out to the forefront by this global pandemic. I think these are not new terms in our industry, in the property world. Uh, companies have always been you know, exploring the effectiveness of workplaces. I know, you know, when I worked with Morton and, and I know Stephen, when we worked together as well, we always looked at, you know, the space utilization of an organization. But I think now what's, that's always going to be relevant. And I think what's come to the forefront is kind of the people aspect of it, you know, the well-being, the mental health. I think that's been kind of brought out, you know, the curtain has been pulled back and this is what's been exposed by the global pandemic. It's been, you know, a global litmus test for all of us. And we were all put in the same box at the same time within the same time frame. And the pandemic just sped up all of these things that we in the property business and the design world were already looking at. And it's just brought it to the forefront. And I think now with the technology that is accessible to us, we've been able to put all of the stuff, the, the theoretical things that we've been talking about in practice. And there's one other aspect I might add to that, Victor. They've just finished the Cornet conference in uh, Seattle, I think it was in America. Cornet represents the real estate industry. And uh, one of the big topics was diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think as we redesign our workplaces to comply with the new way that we're going to work, that will be at the forefront as well. Morton, I'd love to dig in more to, I think you have this bigger concept about the shift of how work is being done, maybe away from role focus or time focus being task focused. I'd love if you could give us a bit of an overview of that and then we can blend that into how that's going to change the office. Yeah, it's a good point. And the way I see it is, I think we need to stop to talk about work. In general, let's just erase that word and, and look at what we're actually doing. I think for us and the way that we operate and the way we want to look at it, we look at it from a people-first perspective. Even though Friday PM is a technology company that wants to harness data to make us put us in a better position to make the right real estate decisions, it comes with people first. And back to what I said earlier about when we talk about emotions, what we look at is basically also behavioral uh, analytics, and we look at behaviors in general. And our starting point is the same every time. It is that we can basically do three things as human beings. We can think, we can feel, and we can act. That comes from basics of psychology, right? And as I said earlier, like we're talking about, for example, emotions, but 
the whole piece of that becomes interesting for us when we then start to to look at the act piece, right? Because we don't really want to talk about workplace strategy. We don't really want to talk about work in that sense. We want to look at tasks that we are doing in a specific environment. And as the world is kind of merging together, and also especially with the clients we talk, talk with, young talents coming into the organization that don't want an, a nine-to-five approach to it. They want to live a full life. And private tasks fit into uh, to something that happens in the middle of the day. So they're not able to join a Zoom call and they can't have a meeting with the boss, right? And I think that's where we really need to figure out that or be aware of what we're talking about is a in general, a holistic approach to this, because I think we tend to treat the symptom. Uh, so we talk about maybe there's a part of the space that doesn't work, but what is actually the overall challenge for us? I think the overall challenge is fully understanding how people operate. I think emotions is a massive piece in this and understanding what is the challenge for people as well. And I think making sure that we provide them with the tools they need to be efficient in the tasks that they need to solve. And that's not really one size fits all. I often give the, for myself, I'm right now from my home office. I have the coffee shop 200 meters down the street with a lot of noise, a lot of people talking. That, that coffee shop is the most efficient place for me to do administrative work. <laughs> I sit down, I just grind out what normally takes me three hours, takes me an hour and a half. And I brought one of my friends that down the other day and his first comment, he was like, wow, this is nice, good coffee, but I could never work from here. Uh-huh. It's a different approach. And I think what I'm saying is think, feel, act, looking at the people approach and understanding each individual is kind of unique in the way that we operate and the way that we work and give them the tools to manage the tasks, the work modes, the work zones, and teach them how to work. I think we need to learn how to work again in some sense, and not let emotions take over when we get frustrated on Zoom calls and everything else. So yeah, having a task-based approach, I think, is a a big piece for me personally and the way that I operate, but also the approach that we have in in Friday PM to looking at workplace in general. It's really interesting because there was a a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. John J. Medina, and he's working with an architectural firm in Seattle, I believe it's called NBBJ. And what they've done, he's a neuro uh, brain scientist, and he's working with an architectural firm looking at the human condition with regards to what is the most effective way to do work. And, and to your point that you made earlier, um, Stephen, about Cornet, I saw him speak at a Cornet event also in Seattle a few years back. And his thing was the human condition or the human brain has been conditioned to do task work. And it's very specific in how it does task work. And we do our best thinking in in specific conditions. And there's a theory behind it called prospect refuge theory, meaning that when we're hunting, and this is when we're doing our strategic thinking, we need to be up high, you know, looking at spaces that are going to give us the most information. And then when we're going to do focus work, we need to go and retreat back into our caves and do some of our, you know, more focused work in, in terms of how do we complete that task. And I think that to your point being task based and having the right context or the right space to facilitate that is really really what I, I think is going to be needed as we move forward and the interesting thing is by and large offices are only about 200 years old 
right? I mean, I think it really, really started, um, Stephen, sorry, I know this is your country, but it started with the British mm-hmm. and the, the trade between India. And it was by and large factory type work or warehousing type work. And we've kept that model. So for the last 200 years, what we've done is we've spent all of our time building boxes and keeping how we, you know, nature out and how we actually function at our peak outside of that. You know, so we've been by and large in enclosed environments, breathing recycled air under artificial light and limited access to outdoors where we actually do our best work. So I think what the pandemic did, it actually exponentially uh, made that more expressed. And I think we've come to the realization that we need what you were talking about, Morton, that the appropriate spaces for us to do our best work. And I think that's what's going to happen with uh, most organizations moving forward. They're going to realize that. And it is going to be people focused. So I came onto this recording expecting to talk about office structures. And we've come to zoom right out and we're, it's actually a much like bigger fundamental shift we're seeing here with how people actually do their best work and how maybe the structure we had before with not facilitating our best work. So let's just dig a little bit more into that. How much work from home penetration do we think we're going to be seeing over the coming years? And Stephen, I think you already mentioned, uh, talked a little bit about this. So I'd love to go to you first, if possible. Sure. Uh, Look, I don't know actual percentages. I've seen various uh, research papers and you know, 65% of the workplace work workers will be working at home for some part of their week. That's probably right, I guess. My ultimate view is that there's lots of organizations that will be able to reduce the amount of space that they've got, take away those tailorist type uh, machine-driven office environments and create collaborative hubs. But I think they'll be occupying, the bigger users occupy, occupying at 70 to 80% of what they had before. Some like ourselves, you know, we're probably expanding. We need more space because we want to operate in a different way. There are aggressive organizations in the the office environment here in Singapore that are looking to reduce their footprint by 50%. I think they'll catch a cold, is my gut feeling. I think once the energy to come back to the office starts to build and, you know, bars are open and restaurants are open. You can sit in larger groups. There'll be a lot more momentum back to the office. So so I think um, we're going to see, yes, we're going to see a lot of homeworking to give us that flexibility to complete that task. But and most of the collaboration will be probably back at the office. So we'll still all be coming back, just not five days a week. And do we think the the amount of work from home will differ significantly between countries or, say, continents? I absolutely think it will differ between countries and continents. Now, Victor's, uh, I think you're in the Philippines, aren't you? The internet needs reinforcing across the country. So there probably will be a drive for people to go to situations where communications are better, somewhere as resilient as Singapore, less of an issue. And it's also very quick to come in in and out of the office. And um, I think places that Singapore and Hong Kong and India, there's often multi-generational houses, two or three generations in the same small environment. So working from home for many people is very uncomfortable. I've seen with my own team, those that operate in those environments are back in the office already. So it will change by country, it will change by continent. Maybe I'll jump in on that one as well, because it's something we discuss all the time and the, the, the customers we're talking to, and even our own organization, it very much varies. There was a 
I think it's also what data points are we looking at? We can, of course, we always talk about that you can have a you can have an opinion about something, you can have actual experience about something, or you can have knowledge or data. So what are we basing our decisions on? And we were having this discussion in our team the other day saying there was an interesting po- uh, interesting article in, in the Financial Post a few years ago that said 35% of employees would give up a race to see their boss fired. <laughs> and I have some, I think I might be right in saying that the graph of how much do I want to work from home <laughs> correlated with what's the percentage of me giving up a race to fire my boss might be correlated somehow. <laughs> so I think back to the point of the holistic view, right? I don't think it's so much often about what office we're going back to. I think it's more about what's the holistic work environment I'm going back to. If I'm going back to a boss that thinks, we've seen companies right now where statistics are showing that if you're not visible in the office, your chance of a promotion goes significantly down. So you might have a policy of working from home and everything is good and dandy, but let's say eight out of 10 VPs in a company or managing directors, they want to see their employees for them to move their career forward. So it's the holistic view. And I think that needs to be somehow data points that we are discussing with our clients. And workplace is massively important. I think the whole well-being of the organization is massively important, but it's also massively important to understand how the individual work, right? And how that person is linked to to the statistics of how the company operates. Yeah, but interestingly enough, Morton, you know, like prior pandemic and you and Stephen, I know you you know this from seeing what type of design solutions were coming out. Most of the, there was actually a term coming out of the industry called what was it? Resi commercial or we were making our offices. There was this blending because technology was making, you know, the home, the work, you know, it, it was blending the two together. And we were making our offices look like more more of our home now. Because we've been separated, there's been a very hard demising line because of the pandemic. The office is the office and the home is the home. I think organizations are realizing, listen, these you know, employees are still being extremely productive, not being in the office. So how do we you know, resolve all of that? There's a bottom line cost effect to that because again, trying to make your office look like a home costs a lot of money. I know organizations that were spending $10,000 on pieces of furniture so people could have a sleep pod and so on and, and so on and so forth. When you're at home, you could just slip onto your couch and, and have a quick nap and then go back to work. And then on the flip side, you know, people now working from home complaining about back issues because, you know, they don't have that ergonomic chair or that height adjustable desk that they used to have at their office. So I think there's going to be a fine tuning of what this hybrid work looks like. And it's really going to be about finding that solution to where do people actually do their best work? And how do we find that percentage value of home office and third space? I want to dig a little bit deeper into the role of technology here and how technology is advancing so fast and the role that that and automation will have in the workspace. Victor, I want to go back to you first, because I know that you focus heavily on like well-being and how we can ensure employees' health, mental health is improving. Do we think the technology is going to help us uh, facilitate the well-being of our employees? 100%. I think, you know, Morton had um, alluded to the fact that everything is coming down to data, big data. And then you look at the world in general, you know, what's happening with climate change. It's really interesting when countries and governments 
speak organizations follow. You know, there was just recently the COP26, there was the, the summit in Rome recently with regards to looking at climate change. When we look at that, and we given the, uh, the data through technology, the organizations have to kind of respond to that. And I think if you look at how people are looking at their workplace, when they do want to walk into the workplace from a health and safety standpoint, for example, they want to know that they're safe or they're going to be, there's going to be a safe re-entry into the work. And the only way you can do that really kind of now is through data. Do we have the proper air filtration systems? Do we have proper clean water? Do we have the proper cleaning protocols? How do we do that? Do we do that with a QR code? Do we do that with you know other uh, forms of technology that we can implement? I know, uh, for example, there is a there is an organization in Australia right now that has all of their they have an app for the health and well being, not for the employees, but for the building itself. It talks about the air quality that they went when they walk in. It talks about the you know regulated thermal comfort that they're getting and so on and so forth. And I think that's going to be definitely things that are going to be implemented into companies and organizations worldwide as we move forward. I absolutely agree, Victor. You know, it's not that many years ago that you know a sophisticated piece of kit controlling the interior environment of an office was a building management system, and that maybe had you know a few touch points to actually tell it how much cold air to put into a meeting room, how much fresh air to supplement it with. But now, with artificial intelligence sensors, uh, much more reactive equipment. Uh, we can fine-tune the environments that much more. And uh, not only will we fine-tune them, but we also need to demonstrate to the occupants that what we've actually done has made the environment safer. And, um, you know, it might well be that there's a screen on the wall that tells you how much carbon dioxide's in the room, when it's reaching dangerous levels, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we, we, we did that in our own office, and uh, it, it will only increase... Because as Victor said, as people go back to the office, they want to know that they, they're safe and they're not being compromised. So we will be adding a lot more control to our interior environments. An app for the building. This is the, this is the first time I've heard of this, but it makes total sense, right? The, the health of the building is going to impact the health of everybody in the building. So it makes sense to track that as well. Bit of a wild card here. What role do we think the metaverse could play in the future of the office? I've been there. And? (laughs) I'm joking. Maybe as a touch point in that as well. I think back in the 2000s, I worked for a company called Innovation Lab back in the day. And this is when Second Life was uh, the metaverse of the day. And we actually had two working days a week uh, in Second Life trying to understand how does a metaverse, how does a virtual reality world implement the way that we work and the way we collaborate. I think it's a, a definitely point in terms of, of our future. I think, again, we have to look at it in the holistic way, as I've said before, and see how does a potential metaverse play into the role of work, right? Because it does make sense in different collaborations, in different ways of working, in different ways of meeting, sharing knowledge, and so forth. But of course, it's not it's not the only answer. It's a it's another tool in the toolbox for us to be efficient in, in the tasks that we need to solve throughout the day. But it's definitely a super interesting way of moving moving into a digital version 
I visited a university here in Denmark the other day where yeah, a few professors are working and are quite forward thinking when we talk about digital twins and how we are going to operate in a, in a world like this. And it's super fascinating to listen to you can say, the thought process that goes into putting a structure around whatever the metaverse will be and how that links to space, how it links to work, how it links to, to the way that we collaborate. Just another tool in the toolbox. Victor, I think you were going to jump in. Yeah, no, I was going to say I'm a little ambivalent about the virtual world per se. And the reason I'm ambivalent is because for myself, I've just recently started with, um, I've just recently joined IWBI um, about almost a year in, and I've literally met two people in person in the entire organization. And yet I still feel connected to my teams across the globe. Right. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is in doing work virtually. I think the, one of the things people always say, you know, people are productive, things are working. And I think we forget that we're, this is a perfect example. I've worked with Morton in the past. There's a trust and like scenario. I've worked with Stephen in the past. There's a trust and like scenario that was achieved in person previously. So this becomes a little easier to do. So the ambivalence is, is really, will this model really, really work? Is there going to be a way to bridge, you know, that trust and like that you can get in real time virtually? And, and I'm sure it's possible, but I'm still, I'm still standing on the sidelines to see what's going to happen with all of that. One of the tech trends I'd also like to jump into quickly is this of bring your own app. I remember working in the corporate world like 10 years ago and the big trend was like bring your own device. Now that's like ubiquitous. Everyone uh, uses their own iPhone or own laptop at work, not everybody, but that's a big trend. What about bring your own app? What does this mean and what impact will that have on employees and their work? I think there's a few things that we already seen that, that sneaked in in our world. And I think one thing that we probably all have a love-hate relationship to is Slack that we are all using and operating within. And I think Slack is a good example. Slack started to capture their customers through Teams. Teams were using it. It might not even, even in our own organization, before we as a corporate organization approved Slack, our Teams was already using it. I think technology, especially when we talk about apps and tools, again, in the toolbox for you to be efficient in the tasks that you're doing, it's moving so fast that IT departments and larger organizations and others, they simply can't, they can't keep up with the pace. And we're already seeing that younger employees come with their own version of task-based apps on communication apps. Communication goes beyond what we are normally using. And I think that becomes the challenge. If you, if you really, as an organization, want to challenge that, of course, there's an IT security question in this, but I think that's very much also an open mind to seeing what and how we interact with different, you can say, tools as well. And bring your own app, you can say that the topic of that, in my organization, I'm 44 years of age, and I'm by far the oldest one. I think next is <laughs> Pasha and our team is 32. And our app developer is, is 19 years of age. So the gap there is so massive that before I even get my head around what, what tools they want to use to, and to collaborate with, they're probably on the next tool, right? So I think organizations, leaderships, embracing, but of course in a structured way, but embracing what tools teams need to use and, and what they want to use. But I think it's also 
I think it's also, a, you can say, we look at a lot of our employees and as independent entrepreneurs as well. We don't necessarily look at them as employees. We want them to thrive in their career as well. And we need to open our mind to that they might also be working on other projects outside our organization. They're using different tools. They're traveling. They're on a different time zone. They might station themselves in Bali during the surf season and in Whistler Mountain during the ski season. So I can't and I shouldn't control that. I should embrace that and make sure that we have the right guidelines for what we want to achieve as a company, not what tools you should achieve it with. I look at that as kind of like, intelligence and wisdom i think these young guns have all this intelligence and i think us old guys morton and, and stephen we have all of this wisdom so you look at it like uh, you know you've got a, a diary and then you've got you know text and i think the happy medium is somewhere between the two again i'm always looking for balance with you know there's definitely value in what people can add and whether you're old or young or intelligent or wise you bring that together and you'll shake out the best results so bringing your own apps if there's a certain amount of control to it i've worked for very traditional organizations very large fortune 500 organizations that are too structured and they're like big oil tankers in the ocean and i've worked for startups that are you know little agile boats that are just getting beat up by the storms. And I think the thing is, is you take the best of both worlds and you bring them together. Yeah, get the best apps and control them. And the penultimate question for this episode, I want to understand a bit more about you three guests to this show. If you had the choice, each of you, to go back to your working situation pre-pandemic versus your working situation, and when I say working situation, I mean like workspace, would you, if you had the choice, go back to the way you were working before or not and why victor we'll start with you i had a very unusual um situation because my situation didn't change much i've always been more of you know a asynchronous uh worker i was always working alone working together now if i go back back pre-pandemic a few years when i was working for a corporate organization i would say i prefer now um i prefer now because i think now i think number one to my point earlier, the fourth, you know, technology, flexibility and health and wellness has been brought to the forefront. And all of these things were concepts that we were working through. And I think we've now realized and now we're now if we ever get back to some sort of normalcy, we'll be able to implement them in a practical way and not in a forced way. But the fact is, it was brought to the forefront and we can deal with it because now I know I can do the things that I need to do on a personal level get that done and still be productive as a professional as opposed to before when i was forced to kind of put a circle in a square and work through an eight-hour day in a corporate structure my previous experience was somewhat similar to victor's i was certainly in asia not not so much when i was in the uk but in asia i've been a bit of a road warrior i was pretty well going to the airport most weeks so I kind of missed out on some of my children's upbringing. I certainly didn't do as much sport as I would like to do. I was very used to operating like this on a laptop out of a hotel room. So I was remote working for, for many years. I don't want to go back to that. That's for sure. The thought of jumping on an airplane at the moment doesn't really uh, interest me that much unless it's purely for leisure. I don't, in fact, I think the way we use those meetings 
will fundamentally change. I mean, I, w- I would go to project meetings by aeroplane. I would go to presentations, networking events, conferences. There's certainly project meetings now will almost certainly be done like this virtually. Networking, going back to Victor's earlier point about you know building relationships, I think we'll jump on trains and planes to go and do that because this is not a substitute for sitting over a dinner table, laughing and enjoying a glass of red wine. So my goal will be to come somewhere between what I had before and where I'm at now. So it's a little bit of a little bit of travel flexibility, flexibility to come to the office when I want to and uh, a remote when I want to. Yeah, I agree with you, Stephen, as well. I think, let's say my old life was uh, 100, and 100 plus travel days a year, Very being very little at home, being away two, three weeks at the time, spending a lot of time traveling to meet people as well, because we had the idea that the only thing, way we could make decisions was sitting in a room together. And I think that world is is not very helpful. I think there's some way in between. I think for my personal experience, I think it's been it's been, and I think it has for most people potentially. It's been a, a you can say, let's go back to emotions, emotional roller coaster ride. And I think I figured out that a bit of split personality helps in that case, <laughs> being your own mental coach and starting really to look at how do I work, how do I operate, making sure I am also. Thinking about my own health and well-being, I know if I sit here in my home office for two days straight on one Zoom call after the other, I'll burn out after two, three days, right? I need to see people. I need to, of course, also have the social interaction. And I think to that extent, I used to spend years in design furniture as well. And there's a great design couple, Ray and Charles Deems, that used to say that the role of the designer is that of a good host, anticipating the needs of their guests. And I think that just sums up how I feel about it. I need to anticipate my own next move and design my week to make sure that I put in time for myself, that I put in time for being outdoors, that I put in time for getting a knowledge boost, that I put in time for decision-making and moving our strategy forward and so forth. But it's the combination of those that's going to be the right the right fit for me as well. Awesome. Guys, I want to thank you all for coming on and bringing what I thought was going to be a more narrow discussion into a much more open and holistic view of the well-being, the emotions, and the effectiveness and productivity of people in the workplace. Before we close out, I have one more question. This is a question we ask at the end of every episode of Shine, and that is, how do we think the workplace technology specifically is going to make the world a better place? Maybe I'll just get back to my earlier point, which was the technology will give us control. Control will enable us to create safer environments, more adaptive environments, and we'll ensure the wellness and safety of the people that work for us and, and for ourselves too. So I think, and that's notwithstanding technology like this on Zoom this afternoon or on the iPhone this evening watching YouTube. I think the real way forward is in how our environments get adapted for our safety. I agree. I'm very, very optimistic with regards to how technology is going to inform the, uh, the workplace. I really think what it is going to do is really going to enable us to get back to our native intelligence, to what I was talking about earlier. It's going to give us the time and the freedom to be people again, we hope. 
I think from my perspective as well, I think the whole workplace, we of course we in Friday PM, we, a big part of our or our main focus is is leveraging technology. So we work with AI, uh, machine learning, neural networks to enhance the service that we're providing for customers. But I think the, the, I asked the same questions to anyone that we also talk to, and I think it starts with where you where are you now and where are you actually going because technology is only going to support you if you know what direction you're going in. So we see it with social media. We see it with a lot of other things. If we go in the wrong direction that is advertising-based or whatever that might be, technology will support us in going down the hole, so to speak. And I think a lot of companies need to fine-tune what's their people strategy. What do they actually want to achieve with their human beings? We are, we are human beings. We're not human doings. And I think that's that's a big piece of it. And before you have that holistic view on what is actually our people's strategy to support our corporate strategy, then we can look at workplace technology. Then we can start to look at AI, machine learning, neural networks that will support that direction as well. But before you have that a clear answer to that, then you, you can say technology is not necessarily going to help you. Okay, there we go. So I want to just quickly share an insight from each of you that I found like particularly impactful first the victor is a simple one but having monitoring the well-being of the building is going to directly impact the well-being of your people so that's like for me a really big insight morton obviously the the really high level view of work and how we should be shifting away from like roles or jobs to tasks and then building the the environment around these people to enable them to complete their tasks effectively and then steven your point about how technology is going to give us more control, I think, which is a really interesting way of putting this, of the working environment, which is going to imp then improve the lives of employees. So those were some insights I picked up. I want to thank you all for coming on and uh, facilitating this high-level, super insightful discussion about the future of workplaces. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having us, Sean. It's been a pleasure. As ever, thank you so much for listening. The big kind of takeaway for me from this episode was how high level we got. As I mentioned in the episode itself, I was going in expecting a more specific discussion about how the office is going to change. Actually, we ended up talking about how humans live and work. And so the insight here is that actually, yes, the pandemic has changed how or where we work, but that was more of a catalyst for a more comprehensive revolution of where and how we work. So with that, I want to thank Victor, Stephen and Morton for joining us to illuminate this topic. And of course, I want to thank you 